Welcome to the Death by Positivity podcast. My name is Jenny Marshall and I'm a self-diagnosed social rebel for promoting death positivity in Northern Ireland. This podcast will jump into conversations with local individuals who are connected to or interested in challenging the stigma around death and dying. Joining me today, we have the wonderful Stuart Holden. And Stuart is a funeral celebrant here in Northern Ireland and is part of the Humanists NI movement. So, hi Stuart, thank you so much for joining me. Um, how are you? Hi Jenny, lovely to be here. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. You're very tired today, you have been on we've, the on the trot. had a long couple of days, yes, it was the Funeral Times trade show down in Dublin, and most people listening to this will be thinking, my goodness, there's a trade show for the funeral <laughs> industry, but yes, there's a trade show for everything. So we had two days uh, representing Northern Ireland Humanists, the charity that I'm part of, part of Humanist UK nationwide charity, and we were down there at the Funeral Times trade show alongside coffin makers and hearse providers and uh, clothing wear for the funeral industry and Brilliant. wicker casket uh, manufacturers and yes it was quite a fascinating event really very good and was it successful for you guys as part of yes successful for us we are northern Ireland humanists we had human association human association of ireland were there as well um who are our sort of counterparts down there so it was quite nice to chat to a few of their celebrants and uh, exchange notes as it were similarities and differences between north and south and to just network really with many many funeral directors there was a focus on people from republic of ireland of course but there were a fair number from northern ireland including a couple from here in ballymena area as well brilliant brilliant and so your role is very um i suppose double-edged because you obviously are a wedding celebrant as well and you're actually um plan to marry uh family of mine now in, in may so yes we have a wedding coming up in may yes, yes. I had, uh, temporarily forgotten about that but yes of course we will see each other yes. in a very different environment we yes. will um many, many weddings more funerals i do more funerals than weddings um if people look at my instagram and think think i only do weddings that's so you interesting can't, you can't really put too many of the funeral things on on insta it's not no like it's not really yeah. you know, <laughs> actually do twice as many funerals as many really as that's so interesting media funeral celebrant first and foremost really just because um I, I started doing that before the weddings so absolutely interesting there you are. i really would have thought it was all the way around because i've seen a, a massive increase in um in the wedding side of things for for humanist ceremonies and i've been to a number myself and they're absolutely beautiful um but that's so interesting i didn't know that actually wow wow so I suppose really why are we here today um is to find out a bit might a bit more about uh humanist funerals so what what is a humanist funeral then, Stuart? Well, a humanist funeral is a non-religious funeral that is entirely focused on the person that we are there to talk about. So it is very much uh, a celebration of that person's life. And that is whether they were young, whether they were old, um, no matter what kind of life they lived, we want to focus on all the good parts with honesty and integrity and fill the time, whatever time you have for doing that funeral service, with as much detail as possible, really, uh, life event stories where they went and what they did but also character and personality I, I think there is 
nothing worse than going to a funeral where it's patently obvious that the person standing at the front has no idea about the person mm. they're talking about. And unfortunately, we've all sat through those from been, time to yeah, time. Been there. Know, and it, it's absolutely cringeworthy. And so even if I w- wasn't able to actually meet the person, it does happen occasionally when people plan through funerals, but usually I haven't met the person I'm there to talk about. You just want to make sure all the details are right and there is as much in there as possible so that both the family and the friends or colleagues or anybody else who was there of that person go away at the end of it thinking, yep, that was totally them. Yes. You know, they, they, that actually did really reflect who that person was and it was a celebration of their life. Yeah, and there's such a responsibility there as well because funny, one of my those kind of core memories of my my brother's funeral i lost my brother um when he was only 17 and i can re- i can distinctly remember um the minister at the, the side of the, the the grave getting my name wrong as his sister and i just to this day i still remember that you so there's such a responsibility on you to kind of get get that right get that yeah n- names are hugely important and that's a story that i've heard too many times yeah. actually you know with yeah. with uh people who are leading funerals who get family members names wrong and it is so fundamentally important and you instantly lose your authority over the audience you lose any respect that that they have for you from what you're saying when you make a mistake like that and uh, you don't realize it and you plow on and the family is sitting there going no we've you've lost me now you know you've lost my attention um and that does it and it's those lasting memories as well because that event for someone is you know, for family is the lasting. Yes, you know, only one chance to do it, and yeah. you only got one chance to get it right. You know, and yeah. uh, we we pay a special attention to family members' names because it's something so absolutely fundamental. Yeah. And uh, normally, what will happen when working with a human celebrant is obviously that you, as the family, will meet them beforehand. They sit there and they take a lot of notes, but they will then run through the whole thing that they've written with you, either by actually sending over the whole funeral to read through in advance or just with a phone call to run through all the details and say look this is what i've got this is what i'm going to say this is how i'm going to does this sound um, does this sound and, and any sort of obvious glaring mistakes like that would would come up at that point you would hope so <laughs> hopefully could be worse could be the wedding as well and get the names wrong well, so. well, <laughs> yet, you know. um, but no we do pay a special care to that particular yeah. and details really you know just just all the details of a person's life because one mistake unfortunately it will stay in people's minds you know it, it, the moment you say something that's factually incorrect, people remember, you know, and you don't want them to go away saying, oh, that was the funeral where he said he was a member of this club. And we all know he was a member of that club, you know, was something even very, very... Sporting their own like football that. team yeah, or something. You know, <laughs> you know, it does it does stay in people's minds, unfortunately, because, the, because it's a hugely important event and you only get one chance to do it, mm. so it has to be right. I think one of the things I really like about humanist funerals is the flexibility as well. Um, you know, I think the first time actually I attended a humanist funeral, it was in a hotel. Um, and for me, that was a, yeah, this is, this it opened my eyes entirely to, you don't have to have that traditional funeral. Um, you know, even if, you know, you're not um, a religious person, but for some people they just they just don't know there is any other options you know so it's the traditional route or nothing yeah um i mean the majority of funerals do happen either in a funeral home followed by burial or cremation uh, for, for normally just a small number of people go on for that part or of course entirely in a crematorium 
Um, now that's very difficult at Rosenhorn in Belfast these days because you have a 15 minute slot at Rosenhorn is mm. all you get, which is very limiting. But there is, of course, the new crematorium in Newton Abbey, which is. Uh, which you and really I spent a fabulous Saturday morning at for the opening. We did an open day um, before it opened uh, for, for actual use on the Monday. They had an open day at the crematorium, and it was quite funny reading the comments online when I saw that being publicised because some people were saying, oh, you know, tagging their friend and going, let's go on to this. And other people were coming to say, why would anyone want to go to the open day? Oh, you and I were there with the bells on, weren't we? Of course, you and I were there. It's great. We wasted years to see this. But um, I can understand why do other people, you know, they would think, why would anyone choose to go? Oh, that, that sounds like a fun day out, you know, take kids. Um, and I think know. as well, that was the same as kind of the funeral festival that we had hosted at Edgewell last year that you were in attendance at. And the same kind of model applied because yes. we were kind of thinking, do you know what? If people are having a laugh and turn up, we still start at the conversation. Yes, abso- is- absolutely. You know, anytime you mention funeral festival, funeral trade show or yeah. open at the crematorium, there is a certain percentage of people who get it, who will understand why you do those things. And it will be quite keen to go along out of curiosity. And there will be another percentage of people who... Wouldn't go anywhere. Just no. That's that's a shame, but that's it. Yeah, it was. I think it was so funny because that day, remember, it was the most beautiful, beautiful sunny day. It was really, really gorgeous. And I had been um, at the crematorium that morning, um, along with yourself. And then that afternoon, I was planned to go to Belfast um, for lunch so it was so funny because on instagram then it was it was a day of a crematorium and cocktails mm. all in one day you were going back going back to what you're saying about uh, events being held in hotels we find that quite more and more commonly people want to have a, a very brief committal service either at graveside or at crematorium and then go on and have an actual celebration of yes. somebody's life in a hotel somewhere and i've done that in and not just hotels but people's houses um, people's back gardens people wow. key up um, local community centers i did an actual funeral with the coffin present in Larne town hall Wow. Uh, recently because the funeral home they were using didn't have the capacity there to host everybody and, and there were over 100 people there in the town hall um, and that was used for that purpose. We do have a, a bit of an issue in that a lot of hotels in particular are happy to have a memorial service because it's really like hosting any other business event it's just that people happen to be there to talk about a person who's died but a lot of hotels the majority of them won't host an actual funeral. Oh right uh, okay. They, they will not uh, want to see a coffin being brought in, yeah. I suppose, because it's a public facility that's being used for uh, other purposes as well, and they don't want a funeral going on. So we've actually got a little list, and it, unfortunately, it's only a very short list of places that we know will actually host a funeral yes. service in in Belfast. And if anybody's listening to this in Belfast or beyond, I should say, um, if anybody's listening to this and knows a, a facility that actually be would happy to have a funeral. It's always very add to the list then. yeah brilliant brilliant so fab there was a journalist from the guardian who um, died earlier this year who was very well known um, Henry MacDonald and his actual funeral was held at the O'Year Centre in Belfast oh fantastic place to have it and that was the funeral with the coffin there because uh, they needed a a venue to host it in the O'Year Centre and funerals like that can be very memorable and very personal And I think that's it. You you want it for your loved ones to be memorable and to be personable and and to to give them that kind of best send off that that they deserve. Yes, absolutely. Um, it should really reflect the life of the person. Um, one of the key aspects of a funeral is is music, and I will always tell families that I'm working with. You know, you don't have to pick sort of 
dreary dirges for, for the music. In fact, I'm basically saying, please don't tune it. Yes. Because really, you want it to be a more event. There is a place for sad music, perhaps at the start of the funeral, but mm. you don't want to have the sort of, based, well, not, not to put it too bluntly, but miserable songs played yeah. the entire way through, you know, because it's going to be a very sad event anyway. You want to have music something that reflects the that, person. That reflects the person, and uh, you know, I love it when people tell me that they were a big fan of such and such, and then you really make people realise, well, that that's the music we should have, then, you know. And people say, "Oh, well, do you think people would think that's inappropriate?" And I say, "No, it's absolutely about personalising the event. And and one music is a key." That's it. Steering away from you don't have to do this the way society has set us up to believe. Yeah. That funerals, you know, the funerals are fantastic. Absolutely. So we've had some. Um, really weird and wonderful choices in music over the years you know and, um, <laughs> i can imagine yeah absolutely you know things things that reflect sort of dark sense of humor from time to time or just pop songs that somebody loved you know particularly the song for walking out at the end of a funeral service i think the song should be something that's you know more upbeat and uh, that's taken off more in england where the, the the most popular songs for walking out at the end of a funeral tend to be things like Dancing Queen by ABBA yes. or um, it, it's a bit of a cheesy obvious choice but Always Look on the Bright Side of Life from Monty yeah. Python is, is a really popular walkout song for the end Very of funerals in England. Um, less common over here but they do happen but certainly you want something that, that, that does reflect that person's yeah. actual taste in music. Fantastic. So tell me Stuart then about your role um, I suppose even from start to finish, even like walk me through what happens from that kind of fo- first phone call, someone coming what to happen- work. What happens is I find that I'm contacted one of two ways. Uh, the first one will be that a family who know me or somebody who's been given my name by a friend or something will, will contact me directly. Um, and I try to make myself as accessible as possible for that by email or by phone um, and that's that's the first and foremost way and then you find out what their plans are are you using a funeral director do you have a time and a day in mind yet or is it still to be decided you know um and of course people do contact me sometimes before their relative has actually died you mm-hmm. know but just when they know that 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 moment is coming because yeah. they want to have a bit of advanced planning which is always a, a good idea for peace of mind i think the second way that I am contacted then is by funeral directors around northern ireland and, and i should say it's not myself of course there are uh, 13 of my colleagues who are based all around Northern Ireland and we all have our own sort of funeral directors who use us on a fairly yes. regular basis. You know, so there's so a big relationship part to yeah, this. It's an ongoing relationship really where a funeral home will know that a family come in. Now a lot of them will say, you know, well look, we have a church minister or a priest or whoever is going to do the service, in which case they go down that route. But a lot of families, an increasing number of families will go into a funeral home and they're sort of mum or dad wasn't particularly religious you know is there another option and, and that is when the the good funeral homes will say well actually yes there is you know yes. have you looked at the humanist option oh well I've, I've heard of that but i don't really know what it is you know tell us more and that's when i would then get a phone call yes My colleagues would get a phone call to say look you know we've got a family here who want to know more about this and are you free on friday morning at 10 a.m you know, and, and we go from there funeral director puts us in touch but what, what always happens next regardless of the method of contact is that I then go out and meet the family face-to-face and try, if at all possible, to spend as much time actually sitting face-to-face with them. Even during the worst of COVID times, uh, I did some strange funeral meetings where I was in people's back gardens sitting (laughs) sitting a good three or four metres away from them with face masks on talking about... Uh, and you can't even shake people's hand in that time at all, which is so yeah. unnatural to not yes. be able to do that, you know. But 
the, the, the last the topic resort is to plan a funeral with the family talking on a Zoom call, but that's really not satisfactory. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's always face to face, no matter where they are. You go out, you sit down, you have a good chat, and just try to get as much information about the person as possible. Now, sometimes families will, I would say, fifty percent of the time, they'll want me to lead the whole service from start to finish. The other 50% of the time, they will have other people who want to stand up and speak or who say that they want to stand up and speak. So they said, well, look, ideally, I would like to deliver some of the tribute to this person myself. <clears throat> but of course, you don't know how they're going to feel on the day. Yes, yes. And it's it difficult. hits people very hard uh-huh. when they're there and it suddenly becomes much more difficult. And uh, it doesn't really matter how much public speaking experience a person has in another context, if you're a teacher or stage performer or anything else, there is nothing like standing at a funeral with a with the coffin of your loved one. The emotions um, are very, family members sitting in the front row, you know. So uh, past experience can only take you so far, really. So you would have a bit of a backup plan then? Yes, so what I would always let people know is, well, look, I'm there as your safety net. You know, I'm, I'm there as your plan B. And I've had many, many times when a, a family member has stood up to speak, got halfway through what they've written down and found it too difficult mm-hmm. and I take over. And nobody's judging in any way when that happens everybody understands you know everybody who's there at the funeral is there to support the family so uh everybody understands that it's just too difficult when you're actually there and, and i've had several times of taking over and reading the rest yeah oh god i'm hoping to myself that their handwriting is legible <laughs> <laughs> yes i never thought of that so you're kind of happens i've had somebody come up to me five <laughs> minutes before a funeral and said i've just written this can you read it out and i take one look at it and go um I'm not sure I can because I can't quite can't read it. Read it. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, never even thought of that. Possible, please. Fantastic. Uh, so, you're nearly start like a, a verbal author of a, a biography. Do you know, you know, you're, you're and you're you're condensing that and you're trying to get that person's yes, life and their loves and one. Yes, you know, the, the very basics: where they were born, who their family were, and where they grew up, and went to school, and work, and things like that. But but also more importantly, I say silly stories and what. Mm-hmm. Quite often sit with a family and they're very tense at first and very factual and just sticking to the basics. And then someone tells a funny, rude story and they say, you know, <laughs> oh, no, 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 you can't put that in there, you know. And then they pause for a second and they go, no, you know what, actually, do put that in there. You know, that, yeah, that's, that that's was totally her. You know, yeah. And actually, that's a great story to tell. And, and you know, we as celebrants want people to laugh during yeah. a funeral. We do want people to laugh. We want to hear the audience reaction when you say something and, and everybody nods their head and goes, oh, yep, I yeah, remember that. Or, that was oh, yes, them. I remember him telling me about that, you know, and, and that's that's great. You know, that breaks the ice. The first time mm-hmm. you can get someone, get somebody to laugh at a funeral um, is, is uh, a moment of relief from the person's uh, the, the point of view of the person leading the funeral, yeah. certainly. Definitely. It was very hard during COVID when you had all the audience sitting there with face masks on because you couldn't see people's reactions yes, at all. You couldn't judge so it. as a celebrant, I'm always looking for the little smiles of recognition of the audience where you think, yes, okay, that's hit the right note. So when everybody was sitting there with half their face, oh my covered, goodness, yeah, it was like pretend, pre- presenting a funeral to a room full of mannequins, you know, because yeah. you couldn't see people's reaction at all, and you had to hope that at the end of it they were going to say yes, that was great. I suppose because like you couldn't see how anybody was reacting. Yeah, to what you were saying it definitely made like the job anyone right. standing up in front of an audience, you feed off that, you know, the reactions and that know that you're on the right track, definitely. It's goodness. So tell me this then. Um, I suppose. Northern Ireland, we're a very special place. <laughs> oh, yes. People listening can probably tell I'm not from here originally, but I'm 15 years here in Northern Ireland, so still a blowing. Still a blowing. Uh, still very English sounding and still constantly get asked, Where are you from? And I say, I'm <laughs> and they don't believe me. And I say, Well, <laughs> I am now. Brilliant. But... So, 
Well, we're definitely a very special place here in Northern Ireland. And I have to say, sometimes um, I would I would probably say that we're maybe a bit backward in Northern Ireland with some things. Um, so how has kind of humanist funerals taken off? You know, so it's really only in the past five years that I have even you know heard of um, a humanist funeral or, or, or attend at one. Yeah, um, the, the growth has been really natural and organic where we've simply increased the number of non-religious funerals that are happening in Northern Ireland every single year. Um, and I did my training with Humanist UK to become a funeral celebrant back in 2015 and really did it not knowing whether anybody onto a humanist funeral in Northern Ireland, you know, because I, I was told by everybody, ah, you know, you're not getting any work here, you know, it's yeah. it's priest or minister, that's it, you know, people don't think like that at all, you know, and it was slow to start with, but it started to pick up, and the more that people go to a funeral yes. of that type, the more they come away saying, you know what, that's, that's what I want when my time comes, you know, or that would be good for my mum or dad or whoever when they're talking. Yeah, that feels you know, like the right fit. So it does just gradually grow. We're, we're very careful about not being anti-religious in anything that yeah. we say. Um, and actually a very important part of a humanist funeral is the moment of sort of reflection towards the end, which is always in there. And I will usually introduce that by saying something along the lines of, look, we're going to have a moment just to pause to think about this person. Um, and if you want to pray during this time, then you're welcome yeah. to pray. Um, if you don't the individual's pray, then choice, you can just yeah. use the time to think about the person. Yeah. Um, and we allow that. And some people are surprised that we allow that. But uh, you will find in, in any funeral crowd there in Northern Ireland, there are inevitably people who have quite strong religious beliefs. And we are about being inclusive. So we don't do acts of collective worship i'm not going to tell everybody we're now all going to pray or we're now all going to sing a song about god because we don't do that but what we do do is allow space for everybody people of all beliefs and none to have that moment of reflection and i've been told many many times by christians and people of other faiths attending funerals that they really appreciate that moment and i think it's actually one of the most important parts of the funeral so that everybody feels that it was about the person but it was for them regardless of what they believe or don't believe fantastic and so you say there's been a really kind of organic steady increase in the in the humanist funerals and has the likes of the new additional crematorium do you think will that come into play there will that yes certainly um it, it what well, it's certainly changing funeral practice and this is an odd thing that was noticed in in england scotland wales and anywhere else and you, you wouldn't necessarily think this was true but when a crematorium is built in an area it changes what people want for their own wishes for, for when they die. Now, you would have thought people would have fairly fixed beliefs. You know, I know I want to be buried or I know I want to be cremated. But um, it's a sort of morbid version of if you build it, they will come, really, you know, <laughs> with the crematorium. If they build a crematorium locally to somewhere, people suddenly start to use it. You know, um, there was a bit of investigation over in the west of Northern Ireland a few years ago as to whether there was a desire for a crematorium. And they some people came to the conclusion, well, nobody chooses cremation at the minute, so there wouldn't be an need for a crematorium. And, and a lot of other people said, well, they don't choose cremation because it isn't there. Yes. You know, because yes. it's a 150-mile round trip to Roselawn mm. if you live in uh, Derry, London, Derry, Strabane, yes. or anywhere else. So, you know, of course people don't choose cremation because it's not there. But if you did build it, they would come. Mm. Um, so certainly now that that facility exists in the Antrim and Newton Abbey Council area, I think that cremation will become a little bit more common because the facility is more local. There are plans, as you may know, for a third one now in Moira, 
which has been long on the cards. It was uh, planned about 10, 12 years ago. I think the land was prepared almost, and roads were being built, and then it completely stalled. But that is now finally back on the cards. Brilliant, and I brilliant. think that it will now snowball because really you need to have one in every county, really, or one in every council area. Um, and, and in England, there are uh, 250, 300, I believe, crematoria. Wow. And Northern Ireland had one Roselawn built in the ni- late 1950s until July of this year when we finally opened a second one. So very slow progress on yes. that front. But I think that it will now pick up and, and cremation will become more popular as a choice. In terms of people choosing religious or non-religious funerals, uh, I, I think it is simply the fact that people have been to a humanist funeral, they see that it's possible, mm-hmm. it reduces that fear of the unknown, and therefore things grow organically. They see, yes, actually, that was lovely, it was very professionally done, it was very kind and caring, and they, they didn't get anybody's name wrong, uh, and it did have music that reflected the person, and that's very that much... That feels like the right fit thinking, for me, know? or and that so feels that, like the right fit yes. for my family member. So rather than the crematorium itself affecting the type of people, uh, funeral people choose for, for themselves or for their loved ones, I think it is just simply the experience of going mm, to uh, a yeah. humanist funeral is increasing us uh, naturally as as the months go by. Fantastic. And then you touched on there just um, when you did your, your training and stuff, and this was a question I never even had kind of noted down, but um, I hope it's okay to ask, how did you end up in, in this as a job? Uh, you know, as a, as a Role. I was, I'd always been a member of Humanist UK even when I lived in England before 2008 because I just supported the charity. I thought they, they thought about things in the right way. They were campaigning for same sex marriage back in England and Wales, even mm-hmm. which, you know, didn't come in until about 2005. Um, and of course, were a key part of the campaign for it here where it took much, much longer. Um, and supporting things like sort of assisted dying reform and education reform on the subject of religion. And so I just thought it was a good charity that was in line with my way of thinking. Yeah. I then came over to Northern Ireland in 2008. Um, I was involved in the setting up of Northern Ireland Humanists as the branch of Humanist UK over here from the very start. And I think Brilliant. always had celebrancy in mind as something that I would yeah. to do. Um, I, I lost both of my grandparents who were in their 80s back in 2011, 2012. They both had humanist funerals uh, six months apart, done by the same chap. Um, and I thought he was very good. And I, yes. I think that sort of put the idea in the back of my mind, you know, that's something I might like to do sometime. And so it, it sort of naturally came on from that, really. And uh, I, I took the plunge in 2015, as I say, not knowing whether anybody would ever want to have a human stream in Northern Ireland. And it turns out well, a lot of them do, because yeah. I've, I've done uh, 460 funerals here in Northern Ireland in wow. seven years. So, wow, that's um, amazing. A, a huge increase year on year in demand. And of course, I now have colleagues here um who, who as well. are busy as well fantastic so absolutely fantastic so then just to round up Stuart um I like to ask at the end of the podcast I suppose if you're happy to share um if you have any plans yourself for end of life and what what they would look like because that's very yes, much I'd like it to be as far away as possible <laughs> beyond that <laughs> Beyond that, um, well, we've talked a lot about cremation, but one one thing that I'm actually very, very keen on is the concept of natural woodland yes. burial, uh, which does not exist in Northern Ireland. Uh, there is only one natural burial site in the whole of Ireland, and that's down in Wexford, which is not terribly practical. Now, a lot of, some people listening to me may be thinking, what's the difference between that and traditional burial? Well, traditional burial, you're in a, a wooden coffin, usually, or a wicker casket, um, embalmed body with sort of 
chemicals and, and such and put it in a very traditional grave and yes. you, you lie there untouched under the ground you know for centuries uh, natural burial is is usually no embalming at all um you are wrapped in a dissolvable shroud or something similar to that and buried in a forest and and to put it very simply you, you become a tree you yes, go back to the earth the which, which, which nourished and sustained you throughout your life you then go back to feeding that um in a very very natural way and uh, you don't have a gravestone marker as such um your family can be told the sort of gps coordinates of where you're buried yes. but to typically the point is that you simply go back to the earth and you feed it at its roots um, and that is a very attractive option we need a natural burial site in northern ireland okay. there have been many attempts uh, one in downpatrick uh, one up in uh, Derry Donegal, type neck of the woods, that have been planned but never actually come into fruition. Never got it over um, the line. I believe it may now be in the pipeline, but that Amazing. would actually be my first choice. I yeah. think you know that that kind of giving back to the earth and uh, not taking up space for unduly long, but actually the, the chemicals and nutrients in the human body, which are actually quite plentiful, should yeah. go back into the earth in some yeah. way, in, in in a sort of environmentally friendly way. It's very difficult to find land that's suitable for it. It's very difficult to find land that people are prepared to sell, you know, for for that purpose. But many such sites in England, Scotland, and Wales, and and one is long overdue in Northern Ireland. So I will have a funeral funeral done by, hope, one of my younger colleagues, hopefully, (laughs) um, in in years to come. Someone I haven't even met yet. They'd probably be offended if you didn't ask them. (laughs) Absolutely. Play some Queen songs and uh, talk about me, and then go off to the pub and have a jolly drink or three. Oh, fantastic. Listen, thank you so, so much, Stuart. That's been so enlightening and um, great to see your enthusiasm and your passion for end of life and Absolutely. giving people it's that really, same you know, the strong motivation for doing it. And this, I suppose, we haven't really mentioned it. It just comes down to wanting to help people, actually, and it's helping people through the worst possible time. And a badly done funeral makes the loss yeah. of a loved one even worse, but a well-done funeral can make it more bearable and that's really that that strong sense that you get of appreciation at the end of what we do when people come up and say you know this has been an awful time but you've made it better yeah. and there is that that's an amazing feeling you know it's the same Maybe reason that people piece. work in hospices and ambulance care and things like that you know a lot of people don't understand how people do it but it's just helping people at the worst possible time and, and fundamentally we're all good and we all want to do that in some way that's it. brilliant so so interesting and thank you so much i've no doubt You'll be back on again at some stage. You and I could chat for hours. So Thank you, Jenny. Brilliant. Ha- happy to come up and drink more of your coffee and uh, chat away <laughs> anytime you like. And good Brilliant. luck with your very worthwhile work. Oh, as well. lovely. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today on this journey towards inspiring death positivity in Northern Ireland. If I can ask just one thing of you today, it would be to take the opportunity to join our merry mob of social rebels and start the conversation about death positivity with a friend or loved one. Once again, thank you so much for listening and please do keep your eye out for new episodes of the Death by Positivity podcast. (laughs) 